So I'm going to read through it, the whole chapter, and then we'll come back and, and do some, some study on it. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, Well, you surely will not die, for God knows in that day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, so the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise. And she took of its fruit, and she ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Well, who told you you were naked? Have you not eaten, or have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you do not eat? Then the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, Well, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, The servant deceived me, and I ate. The serpent. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire, desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then, Adam, and then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, well, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. But thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of the ground you were taken, and dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed the cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming torch, a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So we went through the creation chapters 1 and chapter 2. We talked about Adam and Eve a little bit. Um, you know, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and he shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, 
the man and his wife, and were not ashamed, is how he closed it out. And the Lord saw all that, even up until the end of chapter 2, and he said it was very good. Everything was good. And now all of a sudden, there's a serpent. And um, it doesn't necessarily say it's bad yet, but there's a serpent. And it's a serpent that's able to talk and communicate to Eve. And so there's a few questions right away. Who is this serpent? Well, he's called the serpent of old in Revelation 12, 9, and 10. Um, He's called the dragon, the devil, Satan, the serpent of old. And then also in Revelation it says he drew a third of the stars or the third of the angels with him, and they are the demons. And that reminds me of Billy Graham. If you guys remember, he used to say that. He says, you know, I'm not worried. That means they're outnumbered two to one. We've got (laughs) twice as many uh, angels as we do demons. But um, he's also called in there uh, the accuser of the brethren in Revelation, who accuses the brethren night and day before the throne of God. Psalm 109 verse verse 6 calls him the accuser of the brethren. In fact, the actual word is, is Satan is used, and it actually has the definition accuser, and that's his name. Um, Job 1, 6 through 12, and I've got to tell you, I had twice as many of those uh, for cross-references. I did. And, um, okay, 28, not, not 30. But anyway, I took a bunch of them off, and I'm just kind of giving them to you. Um, but... Uh, I, I just can't help it. You just want to be good at getting everything across, right? Um, so he, uh, Job uh, 1, 6 through 12, it says, Satan came before the Lord with the sons of God. So he came before the Lord, but it also says he walks to and fro in the earth. Daniel 10 says uh, he's behind earthly rulers. When Daniel prayed and the Lord sent out uh, uh, Gabriel to... to uh, meet him. It took him some time because he had to fight with these principalities that were over these different cities. And so he, you know, Satan is behind some of the rulers and earthly rulers over certain areas. Um, We'll see that that's true later on, but uh, also that that's not true anymore. Um, He is, but not like he was then. In fact, he said he would give, this is what I was going to get to, in fact, he said he would give Jesus the kingdoms of the world if he would just bow and worship him. And this was, again, before Jesus redeemed the world at the cross, took away those keys. If you would, turn with me to Ezekiel 28. And shortly after, we'll be going to Isaiah. We're going to read a few verses here to get a little better idea just who this this, uh, serpent is. And really, tonight is a subject Bible study dealing with that. Um, and there's a reason for it. Paul simply says we're not to be ignorant of his devices. And so it's uh, one thing to know your enemy, but it's also a good thing to know that he's already defeated. And that's the whole study, so we can go home. Um, but no, 28 verses 1 through 17, or I'm sorry, verses uh, 11 through 17. He had been, uh, you know, prophesying against Tyre. But then he takes up this lamentation for the king of Tyre. And right away you get the idea and you can see that he's not talking necessarily about a king or a person on earth, but something else. It says, the word of the Lord, oh, down to 11, I'm sorry. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, 
Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. That's our character. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes, music. He was, pre- was prepared for you on the day that you were created. You know, he's the uh, anointed cherub who covers. And combined with 13 and 14, some would say that he was probably the worship leader in heaven and right over at the throne of God and, uh, you know, leading worship. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones before the Lord. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created until iniquity was found in you. And goes on, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. And therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones And notice this, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze on you. And, you know, basically laid before kings that they could look at him. And we're going to see in um, Isaiah 14, if you want to turn there. But he was the anointed cherub who covers perfect in beauty and his splendor until he got lifted up, until there was sin found in him, and that sin was pride. Um, Isaiah fourteen twelve through 17, talking about the king of Babylon, but then he goes on, the, the powers behind the throne, if, it, if you will, especially Babylon. But how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. This is that pride. And I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north, and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. Catch that. Be like God. Isn't uh, a lot of the philosophies and, and the, the secular world these days, you know, if I remember right, it was, I uh, can't remember the name of that actress that um, would, she, yeah, Cheryl McLean, is that it? And uh, who sat on the beach out there and said, I am God. And, uh, you know, and the Christ consciousness that, uh, that Oprah talks about, you know, they set themselves up. I will ascend to the heights. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. And those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook the kingdoms? Who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its city? Who did not open the houses of his prisoners? Is that it? Is this what we're looking at? That creature and it's true because he was so raised up and so lifted up such a beautiful creature of splendor but because sin was found in him 
you know, he was brought down. And now people look at him, and one day, you know, well, I don't think we're ever going to see him, but he, the Lord says the kings of the earth are going to gaze upon him, and they're going to wonder, how in the world was this the guy? Is that all there is? Anyway, so, but he said in his heart, and that's pride, and those that see him, you know, that day will come, but Paul says for now, we are not to be ignorant of his devices. And that's 2 Corinthians 2.11 if you're taking notes. Now back in Genesis, he says he was more cunning than any of the beasts uh, and cattle. And that word more cunning is interesting. If you would go to, uh, well, go to Matthew 4.1.11. But John 8 uh, verses 42 to 44, Jesus said, that he was a murderer from the beginning, and the father of lies is what Jesus called him. And in Matthew 4, we have the story and the account of when Jesus was tempted by the devil. Verses 1 through 11. And Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, we'll command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him up to the holy city and sent him on a pinnacle of the, holy temp- of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give angels, his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Quoting Psalms. And he said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Notice how Satan uses, same thing with Eve. The very first thing he says to Eve is, Hath God said? And the very thing he says to Jesus starts quoting him scripture. Doesn't it say that you're going to be able to turn this bread or the stone into a bread? And he begins to use scripture. Don't be surprised if you're getting thoughts about a particular situation that applies in Scripture, but it's taken out of context. And you can always tell the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation will push you away from the Lord. It makes you want to hide. Whereas conviction draws you close to the Lord. The Lord's convicting you of something, and it's a conviction you have to acknowledge, and as such, you go to Him with it. And so the difference between the Holy Spirit convicting you and Satan condemning you, using the word of God to try and condemn you. Um, Same with Eve. He raises questions, raises suspicions, raises doubt about God's word. And this is why Paul tells Timothy to rightly divide the word of God, be ready to correct error, and also to teach the whole counsel of God. Taking scripture out of context, Satan does and will do, and when he's got a hold of people, that he's got them doing what he wants, they'll do it too. And you have to be ready to correct that. You have to be ready um, to, 
to know the word in order to put it in the correct context. Um, Matthew 13, just a few pages to the right. We have the parable. And again, what we're looking at is the, you know, what does it mean that he's cunning? What are the, what are the devices that Paul says we're to not be ignorant of when it comes to our enemy? So 13, 1 through 9, and then we'll skip to 18 through 23. At that time, Wrong chapter. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into the boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood, stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and they had no root, and they withered away. And some fell by the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. And others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirty. Well, he says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And he goes on to talk about the parables because the the Jews were blinded to him and did not acknowledge that he was the leaders. The the religious leaders would not acknowledge that he was the Son of God. And and it was prophesied that he would be speaking to them in parables and that they wouldn't be able to see. Having ears that were hard of hearing, it says in verse 15. But down in 18... He explains the parable. He says, Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. And this is he who received the seed by the wayside. And he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while, And then when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and he understands it and who who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty and some 30. Why parables? Well, the blindness of the Pharisees. First of all, the seed is the word of God, and the word does go out, and people hear the word. The condition or the, so- the soil, the condition of the soil is the heart, the heart of a person. And the one that would land by the wayside just mean it's just not important to them. And it just will not get any any uh, root and it's stony and hard and no roots as soon as the sun comes up. In other words, as soon as there's a little heat or a little difficulty, you know, it withers. Then there's the thorny areas where the seeds ended up, which is worldly. The worldly cares, the worldly riches, and those riches are deceptive, it says. And the good ground, finally, is the one who understands it. But notice who the, what the wicked one does. 
that's who we're talking about, that's the subject of tonight's study, he snatches that away because like birds picking at the seed, he takes the word away from the heart that does not understand it. As soon as things get a little difficult, as soon as that word brings that persecution, as soon as you begin to share with somebody and it gets a little difficult, you kind of, you know, and it's not easy. And secondly, you also want to be able to uh, share somebody who wants to receive it, but in a way that they know you enough to know that, it, that you care for them. You're not just out, you know, swinging uh, hammers and trying to, to beat people down with the word of God. It comes in the... In the the spirit of love to them. So he uses the word out of context, and that is now Timothy, 1 Timothy 4. He snatches the word away. He uses the word out of context. In 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, these are the days we're living in. Verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. Notice, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared as with a hot iron. Notice, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and those who know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be with refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it's sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Legalism, works. These guys that, uh, I'm not going to name names, you're probably all fully aware. The ones that forbid to marry. The ones that commit, you know, command to abstain from certain foods, especially on Friday nights. What is that? And, and it's it's... It is a, a form of godliness, but it has no power to help overcome sin. It gives people a, a, an idea that they're abiding by something, but then they just go about living their lives. And there's no change in their lives. There's no desire to walk a godly life. So he uses the word out of context. He accuses the brethren. He causes division between believers, causes division in marriages and in families. Notice so far Adam's not in the picture. Eve, he's talking to Eve. Um, you know, God told Adam, don't eat from this tree. He didn't tell Eve directly, as far as we know. She might, you know, it was before she was created or taken out of Adam is when he told Adam that. And so it was Adam that probably was the one that told Eve, now that's the tree, that's not. And so she knew it and she said it. She was right with Adam on all that up until the serpent comes along and says, but God, you know, Adam told you, but, you know, what, what if God said this? And uh, he might not, uh, that's, surely you will not die. And so, again, now, that's the tool of the enemy is to cause division, number one. Temptation, sin, divides us. You know, people like to say, well, there's, there's some sin that nobody gets hurt, so it's no big deal. Always somebody gets hurt when there's sin. And... Uh, it may not be somebody that's right there, but it'll be somebody who knows you later, somebody who that becomes something in a stronghold in your life that changes how you are. And um, so uh, now Luke 22 talks about um, personal attacks. We don't have to go there. I didn't put it up on the, on the board. But that's where 
you know, just this couple of verses where Satan uh, came to the Lord and says, you know, I want to take Peter and I want to sift Peter like wheat. And the Lord tells Peter, and can you imagine being Peter and looking at the Lord saying, do you mean the devil, the devil, Satan, he wants to sift me like wheat? And uh, so, but the Lord said that to him. Now the word sift there equals shake or shake loose and specifically to shake our faith. And that is what uh, he would like to have done to Peter. Now, that is a tool that the enemy uses. That's a device. But the, the gist of it is that he wants to get to the final end game of shaking your faith, having you lose faith, discouraging you. And so that's uh, Luke twenty two thirty one to 32. But finally... Um, in chapter uh, 3 of Genesis, something we learn about the serpent is he was created by God. You know, we found out who he was, and uh, we find, find out what cunning is, what his devices are. But something to remember, and this is where we have to start to think and be encouraged in our own knowledge of all these things. Because let's face it, we don't need to, to sit and think about Satan every day. But we do need to be aware of his devices so that when they come along, because they will come along, you're going to live a godly life, you're going to suffer persecution. And as those, those temptations or as those attacks or as those deceptions or, you know, he's, he's able to cause infirmity in people, you've got to understand that this is spiritual warfare. And as such, you know, we know the end game. Um, so the last part of uh, the first few verses in Genesis, he's created by God, it says. Who, the, one of the, the most uh, cunning of the cattle or the beasts that God made. So that God made means he was created. If you want to turn to Colossians 1, some people like to think that Satan is God's equal and opposite, or like he was... Uh, some religions, I think Jehovah's Witness or one of those, teach that Jesus was Satan's brother, and they became down. They went came down on separate sides of things and became enemies ever since. But they're just brothers. Um, these are lies. It's not what the Scripture teaches at all. Um, Satan is just a fallen angel and an angel that was created just like the rest of the angels. And we read how he was created in that perfect beauty and all. Uh, Colossians 1, 9 through 18. Uh, for this reason, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom, spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Boy, I like that verse, according to his glorious power. For all patience and all long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance and the saints um, in the light. And he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us unto the kingdom of the Son of his love, delivered us from the power of darkness, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, because he is the Im image of the invisible God, the firstborn born over all creation.
For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, period. Well, no. Also, whatever is visible and invisible, and also whether they're thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Now he is the head of the body and the church, who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. And boy, he rose from the dead, and we're so grateful that we're going to rise from the dead. And, um, but notice it says, in heaven or on earth, and all things, principalities, power. He's just a created being. Is he going to win a war against God? Well, I don't think he even thinks he could. But I think he could steal as many souls as he wants, or as, as, he, as he, he will try I don't think he can steal them just because he wants to because nothing happens without passing through the Lord's hands. And in more in-depth study of Job chapter 1, we realize he, he was walking to and fro around the earth, but he also was um, able to cause infirmity to come on Job. Um, in fact, let's go to Job 38 because we're talking about he was created by God and the question has to kind of arise in the seven days of creation And then chapter 3 is all of a sudden the Garden of Eden, and there's the serpent, already fallen, already trying to deceive. So Job 38, this is after all the back and forth with Job and his friends, and finally the Lord answers Job out of the whirlwind and says, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And says, Now prepare yourself like a man, I will question you, and you show me an answer. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And tell me if you understand. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the fine line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? Notice verse 7. When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And he says, or who shut up? in the sea, or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb, when I made the clouds against its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, and when I said, this far you may come, but no farther, and here your proud waves must stop. He's talking about the waters. Remember in in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis we talked about the firmament between the waters. And then, on the, what day was it? On the uh, uh, day two, he created, or he uh, separated the waters, and the earth came out. And that's what he's talking about here, setting up the doors of, uh, and the sea could go no further, farther, uh, putting limits on the sea. Well, that was day two. And here, the morning, the stars, or the, and, and at this point, all things were good, right? Remember, and, and by the end of chapter 1, it was very good. And so nothing was created prior to the end of chapter 1 that was not good. And that would have to include the angels, right? That would have to include Satan or Lucifer at the time before he fell. And um, so when was he created? Probably on or before day 2, but definitely not before or uh, not after day three. 
because that's when the ground separated the waters because it says chronologically in 38. So a lot, of, a lot of that basically just so that you know he's created. So there was no big war in heaven prior to chapter 1 that had to settle down and, and, and all that when they talk about a gap theory. So when did he fall? Well, Jesus said that uh, he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And if that's the case, it was in a twinkling of an eye, in a flash of lightning, sometime between chapter 2 and chapter 3, sometime after day 7 because everything God saw was very good that he created. And so Satan fell somewhere between chapter 2 and chapter 3. How many days and weeks and months went by um, after Adam and Eve were created and together tending the garden before they, this came along? I really don't know. Some say it was just the very next day. I would think that's so disappointing that they were created and had one or two days in the garden and that was it. And then certain come, serpent comes along. Um, so finally on the subject here of our enemy, what should be our attitude towards Satan? And we've got a few cross-references to run to. First Peter you know, you want to talk this all through and get it all done. Now you got it under your belt and you don't have to think about it anymore. Just be wise about understanding when there's warfare. And uh, that's, the, that's the key here. Because, you know, he's defeated. Let's, let's just read, read it. First Peter 5, 5 through 10. It says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. Now it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and um, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood around the world. May, uh, but may the God of all grace, who calls us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, um, established, strengthened, and settle you to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. You know, who's got the dominion? Who's got the power? The Lord does. Um, he says, be sober, be vigilant, and, you know, resist. Now, Peter knew firsthand back when, uh, you know, he, the Lord was talking to the disciples about when he was going to go up and be crucified. And Peter says, no, Lord, you know, you're going to set up things here. What did Jesus say to him? He said, get thee behind me, Satan. You know, and so here's Peter just wanting to gung-ho and everything. And all of a sudden, he's being told that the things he's saying are, are Satan's words. And so Peter was aware of this. So when he says, be sober, be vigilant and resist, you know, he knows what he's talking about. Especially when it comes to just blurting out what comes to you. You know, the top of your, I'm terrible at that. And he, you know, but it's something that's just not wise. Be sober about these things. And Jude, verses 5 through 
seven or eleven about the days that we're in as well. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, notice, but left their abode, and he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment on that great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and, and the cities around them in the similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And so, verses 5, Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, speak evil of dignitaries. Notice, yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and run greedily in the error of Balaam. And... uh, for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now, he, sa- he says, let God rebuke you, Satan. He doesn't even bring an accusation. And if anybody would know what he tried to do when he took a third of the angels with him, it would be Michael. And Michael's in heaven, stands before God Almighty at all times. When Satan comes around, he knows what's going on. And yet, he will not bring a railing accusation. And there are those that in the church that will try and make a big to-do and get all kinds of things going so that they can cast demons out of you know, furniture if they have to and just to have a show. And like these guys, he's saying, they just are doing it for profit, like Balaam, like, like Cain. They're just running greed, greedily after these things. It's a rebellion to do so. And then, but what does Michael say? He says, the Lord rebuke you. That's all I got to say. And that's really where you can get caught up in sitting there trying to say, oh, Satan, I you know, command you to go do this or, or something like that. And with all the authority that God gives, that's not in the word of God. Okay, Ephesians 4.27. We're not to be ignorant of his devices, but we are certainly not supposed to go chasing them down trying to make a big show. And... Um, you know, the Lord has defeated him and uh, is restrained, and we have the, the Holy Spirit. Um, but if we were to sit there on our own, there's a, there's a point at which the, some of the disciples, they weren't really the disciples, they were just some of these uh, sons of a prophet, and they saw the disciples casting out demons, and so they thought they'd give it a try. And so they go out and try and by the name of Paul, who, or the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, we cast the yacht. And they looked at him and says, well, Paul, we know. Jesus, we know. But who are you? And they took him to task. And they ended up fleeing naked and bleeding. And um, so be careful when you're trying to deal with something that the Lord hasn't got you dealing with. Let the Lord rebuke him. Ephesians 4.27 Uh, Just one verse says, let, wait a minute, that's not right. 
Ephesians 4.27. Oh, yeah, nor give place to the devil, just one verse. Back to 25. Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. We are members of one body. Remember, he's the father of lies. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. What gives place to the devil? Lying, anger, wrath that carries on from day to day. If you're hanging on to something, hanging on to some bitterness, where if you see that guy two years later, if I see that guy, ten years later you're sitting there tossing and turning in your bed because you wish you could see that guy and take him to task. You know, that's the enemy. That's Don't let those things uh, deceive you. Don't give place to the devil. Second Timothy 2. What should be our attitude towards the devil, towards Satan? Second Timothy 2, 23 to 26. It says, But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And 26, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. What? Foolish, ignorant disputes, strife, you know, quarreling, not being gentle, not being patient, not being humble, you know, and full of opposition. These are the snares of the devil. These are the things that keep people captive. You know, um, Ephesians 6, I'm sorry to make you go back to Ephesians, it's not that far away. Something that we don't realize too much, especially in this country per se, once you recognize warfare, uh, spiritual warfare, uh, it's always timely. You know, about the time you're going to go share with somebody that you've been praying for and you're, or you're about to hand out a God of Wonders or you're about to give your niece a Bible for your for, you know, uh, birthday or whatever it is. Um, it's about the time things go wrong. And a lot of times it's warfare in your mind and your thoughts. Or a lot of times it's who knows, uh, family members or something, somebody else starts giving you all kinds of trouble and it, it came out of nowhere. What's this coming from? Or thoughts pop in your head. How did, well, I don't think of these things. Why am I all of a sudden thinking of these things? And that's that warfare. That's that spiritual warfare. Ephesians six ten through 20 gives us that example or gives us that picture uh, Paul does for what it means to be in battle and in war. Um, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and put on the power of his might and, and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, that's the war we're in. You know, if we could actually see it, uh, what takes place. God keeps us from so much, and yet we're, we're able still, as believers, to be able to handle 
this because take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So stand therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith which you with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And then take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end and with all perseverance and supplication for the saints and for me, that utterances may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that it may be that I speak boldly as I ought to. And prayer is so huge. Um, we, we, uh, we don't really, I don't even think, know how much prayer affects those that we pray for. And one day, you know, we're going to see when the Lord pulls back on all that, that he gives us, he pulls back the curtain, shows us all that was taking place in the kingdom. But we're at war. And it's with spiritual entities. Is there darkness in this age? Is there corruption, perversion, pandemics, politics? All too often, those even among us with heresies in this day. You know, what weapons do we use? Well, we use truth. It's that belt that holds all these things together. And uh, any one of these other pieces of armor, if you're not using truth, it falls apart. Um... We use uh, righteousness to guard our hearts. We, we do what's right. We walk with the Lord. It guards our hearts. Um, the gospel of peace to walk in this world. Faith to protect from fiery darts like discouragements and false accusations. When David talks about fiery darts in the Psalms, he's talking about gossip and slander and people who are basically uh, just seeking to discourage with their words. And then salvation, to protect our thoughts, the helmet of salvation. We're saved. We're going to heaven. We're going to be in eternity. Uh, We're going to be in paradise with our gracious and merciful God and Savior. Wear that around your thoughts. Keep that before you, where we're going to be. James would say, you know, doing all these things because we know what lies ahead. Enduring what we have to endure because we know what lies ahead. And so we keep our eyes on the kingdom to come. Well, why all these verses about Satan? Well, because we're not supposed to be ignorant of his devices. He will come around as an angel of light, and he's going to be a wolf all dressed up like a sheep, and he's going to be roaring lion, lion seeking to shake our faith and destroy us. And he's going to want to keep the gospel away from the world. If he can keep us on the sidelines with either sin or condemnation or with, with uh, division, with uh, grabbing on to some heresy that somebody's making sound real good because we don't know the word of God, he's happy with that if he can keep us on the sidelines. But back in Genesis three fourteen through 15, we read about her seed and we read about his seed. And the seed there is singular, even though Eve had many children, Adam lived uh, many years, had Seth came along, um, and uh, you know Cain and Abel and all, and then many children beyond that. 
But so this is referring to an individual, her seed, an individual who will bruise his head, that serpent of old, and that dragon, the devil, and Satan. Genesis 22 says, uh, Abraham, by his seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Galatians 3.16 talks about that. It says that the seed of Abraham is singular, not plural, not seeds. You can jot that down in Galatians 3.16. And specifically saying the seed of Abraham is Christ. In 2 Samuel uh, 7, we talked about on Sunday, David's seed is established forever. And in Psalm 89, he swore to David, saying that his seed would endure forever and his throne as the seeds of heaven. Well, Genesis 3.15 says, well, he will bruise your head. Now, the word bruise there has a couple of meanings. It means bruise, also means crush. It means to gape upon. In other words, it, you've made a mess. And uh, desire to seize or to strike out. In other words, when you're crushing something, you're taking away its power. Now, if you turn to Hebrews 2, we'll see exactly what the seed of Eve did to the seed of Satan. Hebrews 2, 1 through 18. It's a whole chapter. I'm going to read through it. And um, we'll see what we're talking about. Kind of zeroing in on verse 14. But verse 1, they, Therefore we must give more eager, more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the words spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, well, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and he was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels. But one testifies in a certain place, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the work of your hands. You have put all things under subjection under his feet. And he's recounting when he created Adam and gave him subjection uh, or gave the world to him to be ruler over. It says, and for in him, he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering and the death crowned with glory and honor that he may by the grace of God uh, that he might by by the grace of God might taste death for everyone so here is the beginning of what's going to be that seed here's Jesus who did uh, was made now who was creator of all things and all things were made for him now he became flesh now the creator of the hand has his own where he's made of flesh just like a man, a little lower than the angels. What for? For the suffering and the, and the suffering of death so that he would be crowned with glory and honor. But verse 10, for it was fitting for him for whom all things and by whom all things were, were in bringing many sons 
to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified all are one, for which reason he is not ashamed to be called brother. Jesus became, God incarnate, came man so that he would be able to say to us as brothers. And the Bible says he was tempted in every way that we were tempted and yet without sin. And so he's able to sanctify us because he died on the cross. Notice it says for saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am and the children whom God has given me. So inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, for he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear and death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The devil had us in bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. And therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, like you and me, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in him, in for, that, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he was able to aid those who were tempted Inasmuch then in verse 14, he says, he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. You know, the devil had the power of death hanging over our heads. And Jesus died, but then he rose again. And so we will as well on that day. If you would turn with me to Romans 8. I'm just going to grab a few verses there. He's a defeated enemy. We don't have to fear death. Um, so much of the New Testament, if you, if you just take and search the word death, it's a lot of study, it's a lot of words. You could just do an exhaustive search on it, but the bottom line, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, and then we'll do 38, 31 and 39, through 39. So therefore, there is now... No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And verse 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Boy, the accuser of the brethren? <laughs> it's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It's Christ who died. And furthermore, it's also who is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. How powerful is prayer? Well, when the Lord makes intercession for us, it's you know, he seeks uh, just the best for us and knows how to pray. And um, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? Because it says all, all 
for, for your sake, we're killed all day long and we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities or powers, those things that he created, those things, those, that enemy of ours that's sitting right next to kings of the world. And, you know, we, we see a lot of evil in our day. And I could, you can sit and go on about just the news we're seeing right now. These uh, leaders who are basically taking, taking all our freedoms. Um, but it's, it's even more so. You know, we're in a free country, but many countries around the world have been in slavery to Islam or in slavery, in slavery to Hinduism or Buddhism. And um, many countries up until, you know, a couple hundred years ago only had kings. Nobody had any rights. You do what the king says, you know. It was uh, rex is lex. In other words, whatever the king says is law rather than what we had, have, had, which is lex is rex. In other words, the law. You know, our constitution is king. Um, Yet all things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. So neither height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. One more place to turn, 1 Corinthians 15. And, um, you know, we don't have to worry about Satan. We've got to know when the warfare is there so we can pray, so we can put on the armor. We've got to know how to fight against these principalities and powers. But he's defeated. He's, been, he's all bark, no bite. He roars like a lion. He deceives. You got to be on your guard. You got to know the word. First Corinthians fifteen one through four. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which you have also received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you first of all that which also I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. Skip down to verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. What are we doing here? And your faith is also empty. Why bother anymore? Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. In fact, if you're saying the dead aren't raised. For if, in, if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And that those, all who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. And verse 50 to the end. But now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Will not all sleep? He's speaking of the rapture. But we all will be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of the eye, at the last trump, for that trump will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, 
and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal body has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass this saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What's the main point tonight? Well, death has no power. Satan has no power. We have victory in Jesus Christ. He can tempt us. He can roar. James 4 verse 7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. All you got to do is resist. All you got to understand is that it's warfare. And you say, it's warfare? I'm just not going there. I'm not going to go there with it. I'm going to put on God's armor. I'm going to know the word of God. And resist, and the devil will flee. We got such a bright future. I just hope and pray that you've given your hearts to the Lord. And and I just know that if, um, boy, you know, when he shows us, when we get to see him, when we get to be there, the glory that's going to be waiting for us, just keep your eyes set on that and keep looking to that. Let's just pray. Thanks, Father. Um, Lord, we just lift to you this study tonight. Uh, labor in your word about a particular subject, uh, just looking up all that we can learn about it and uh, so that we understand. And Father, we commend to you um, our protection and our peace, knowing that you've given us of your Holy Spirit as a seal that you've, you will keep us until you come for us or until we go on to be with you. And Father, what a joy to know that And I pray you'd be comforting those families who've lost loved ones and those that are just so sick that it doesn't look like there's any turning back right now. And we lift up those families to you that you'd give them that hope as well and continue to give them that peace. And so, Father, we do want to continue to look to your kingdom and fix our eyes upon that, be thinking of heavenly things. And so we lift all this up in Jesus' name. Amen.